If God is real and his word is true, it can be trusted. But if it's not real, I'm going to find out. That was the moment Annie Weber put her newfound faith on the line. Annie is a storyteller, but there is no need to make up anything about her life. Sit back and listen to how she followed the path laid out by God. Hello, welcome to the Hill Stories podcast, a space to tell the God stories unique to the people at Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. I'm your host, David Wilson. We're with Annie Weber, and Annie was a long-time children's ministries. What was your position? My position was quite the title. I was the Associate Director of Children's Ministries for Performing Arts. Did that fit on the business chart? <laughs> really small print. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I have known you for a long time, and we've worked together on a few things. But how did you get involved in that? Oh, my goodness. Children have always been part of my life. Um, I think part of it had to do with the fact that I had a very, I had lots of sorrow growing up, and it wasn't an ideal childhood. We weren't raised in a Christian home, and I think there was something in me that when I discovered life in Jesus, I knew what it should have been and could have been, and I wanted to make sure that other kids had that. And I knew that I, I only had two children, which I loved raising, but I saw and God gave me the opportunity to demonstrate or to give to input into other children's lives, kids that the Lord would bring my way. And so kids became my life. I uh, had the privilege of uh, working in a ministry for 20 years. Uh, we did a lot of children's music and I first started writing there, got to work on curriculum. And when we did music, it was a way to reach children with the gospel. And so you had to, boy, children are a tough audience, so you have to do things with excellence. And I was privileged to work with people who wanted more than anything to give kids an accurate and an exciting vision of what it means to walk with Jesus. On Saturdays, uh, we had a team of people who would go into the apartment complex parking lot and they would just gather kids around. We would put funny costumes on and makeup and we would sing silly songs and then we would share the gospel with the children. And many of them were, I, you would almost call them unparented. They were latchkey kids. They maybe had one parent who was working just trying to keep food on the table and not really connecting with uh, where their kids were on a, on a Saturday. And we had this very creative group of people in Santa Rosa, California, and they decided they were going to take the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and turn it into a gospel message. <laughs> so it was so much fun. They did costumes and everything. They were telling the story of the Seven Dwarves, and you had Sleepy, you had, you know, Dopey and Sneezy. And, well, in the Christian telling, Sneezy gets healed and Dopey gets delivered. So <laughs> it was... It was, it was creative, it was out of the box, and there were pretty soon they started performing this, this play, and we, we mixed it in with music that was written about a place called Agape Land, and it was this, uh, this place where anything can happen, and of course everything that happens is coming from the scriptures, but it's, it's just this wonderful way to reveal it through 
fun songs about patience, a snail who needs patience, Herbert the snail, and different character qualities, things that God would want children to know. So there was a mix of drama and music. And just a little sidebar, we actually performed at the, there was a big community center in Santa Rosa. And just before we went on stage, we got a cease and desist letter from the Disney company because (laughs) apparently, even though the story of Snow White is public domain, the actual creation of those characters with the names, Adobe, Grumpy, Sleepy, those were all, they belonged to Disney. So we thought, wow, we were filling auditoriums with kids and now we have to stop. So this very creative group of people, the ministry, I don't know if I mentioned, it was Agape Force that I was working with at the time. They, there were five of us that went in a room and we said, okay, Lord, we need something. We need to take the place that will hit that same sweet spot of storytelling and fantasy and costumes and drama to bring kids in and and bring their parents in. We wanted it to be excellent. And so the Lord gave us a story called Nathaniel the Grublet. And it had a lot of the same elements as as the, the Disney one that we had been using. And because of that work of reaching children, um, there was a gentleman who worked for Word Records named Billy Ray Hearn. He was going to start Sparrow Records, and he said, I'm looking for an artist, and we would like you to be our first artist. Uh, And, of course, talking about the music group that was behind all of these things. The music group was called Candle, and our director signed in a, a contract and it, golly it just took off from there so so it was 20 years of living in a creative hothouse bringing the gospel to children and that was the most remarkable privilege it was living with with people who wanted nothing more than to bring glory to God in this earth and it tied in so meaningfully for me into being able to give kids exposure to what it was like to walk with Jesus, to know him personally, um, which was a message that came to me later in, in my life. How did that happen? Into my life came a glorious toad. <laughs> and the glorious toad, toad was the nickname of my grandmother. Um, she had eight boys and they were all called her tadpoles. So one day, one of the cheekier ones, I believe was my father, decided that if they were tadpoles, that that meant she was a toad. And after she got over the shock of the impertinence, she kind of it kind of grew on her, and uh, and she came to live with us for a year when I was in the sixth grade. And um, boy, she just brought order into chaos. She brought light into darkness. And watching her life, she lived with us for a year. She was uh, in her late seventies at the time, and her eight boys had decided they didn't want her living alone, so they were taking turns hosting her. And we had the privilege of having her when I was in the sixth grade. And watching her life for a year, the joy, the winsomeness. She had wrinkles and white cotton hair, but when you looked in her eyes, she wasn't a day over 12. (laughs) I was quite sure. And she was my best friend. And it was very easy to see the life that that was kind of uh, imposed by my father at the time. Lots of anger, drinking, drinking. Lots of secrecy. We found out later why all the drama, and that was he actually had another family besides us. He didn't, so he was living a life to kind of keep things stirred up so that nobody got too close or asked questions. 
The shocking thing was the toad was his mother. You said the shocking thing is, yes, well, there's a couple of shocking things here. But <laughs> from the glorious toad comes your father. There's a big disconnect there. But it sounds like it got picked up again with you. How did your relationship with your grandmother develop? She saw something in me, and I, I'm not sure why. I, I think about this actually a lot. I think, God, why me? I was, I was the second born in a family of four. I always thought my older sibling, my, my sister was special because she was the oldest. The one just younger than me was the only boy, so of course he was special. And then there was the baby, my sister Donna. And so I was just kind of stuck in the middle, and I just kind of got used to being my mother would call me, uh, she would introduce me as number two, and I'd just say, okay, mom. <laughs> she just laughed, and, uh, but grandma, I don't know, it was just like a kindred spirit kind of a thing. I knew I wanted to be just like her when I grew up. Who wouldn't want to live in light when you see light lived out in front of you? She would cook and clean and and sing all the time and always talking to Jesus out loud, <laughs> walking around the house. So I I'm going, okay, there's something real here because not just the way she acted, but who she was, that it was so genuine. So I knew what was possible. Grandma left, went on to live with another lucky family, and, uh, but she had started me going to church. Um, I decided, so during middle school and high school, I, I had my Christian friends and I actually went to a Christian Bible college, but it was kind of that you kind of get stuck in the, well, I'm a Christian kid kind of a, a, of a look. But there was something still missing, and I wasn't really sure about what that was until the middle of the Jesus movement, um, the summer between my, uh, after my freshman year in school, I went, I heard that there was something happening at this church in San Jose, California. And I went there, and there was this group of young people, absolutely dynamic. They were on fire for the Lord. They had these incredible testimonies of being delivered from drugs and alcohol and, you know, every kind of lifestyle you can imagine. And, but what I saw in their faces was exactly what I had seen in my grandmother's face. So you asked how I reconnected. That, that was my touchstone moment and experience I watched their lives from a distance, and they were so open. That was the thing. It was kind of like Jesus says, come and follow me. Well, they were like that, too. It wasn't exclusive like a club. It was, come on, we're going to go share the gospel. Come with us. Well, I couldn't share a testimony because I didn't have a testimony, and they couldn't hardly keep it down. You know, it was like they just they were sharing with strangers. They were breaking out guitars and singing on the street corners, and they weren't even that good. <laughs> they didn't have a very good repertoire, you know, uh, this little light of mine. <laughs> and uh, he's got the whole world in his hands, but that's all it took. And then they would, as soon as they had anybody standing, they would share their testimonies and they would break off and take people off to the side and you would see them praying over people and people were getting saved on college campuses and in parks, wherever they went. And I just... I couldn't do that. I couldn't lead somebody to Jesus, and I didn't know why. And I kind of struggled in my mind. I, had, I knew it was real. I knew what they had was real because I watched it lived out in front of me for a year in the sixth grade. And I, and I just, I was, I was turning it over in my mind. 
And, and it was just the goodness of the Lord. There was a song they sang. It was a scripture set to music. It was Jeremiah 29, 13. And it said, uh, the, the word said, And you will seek me, and you will find me, when you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found of you, says the Lord. And as that song just went over and over in my mind, I realized that was the difference. I had never sought the Lord with all of my heart. I had gone to church. I'd gone to VBS. I had driven the bus to go pick up kids so they could come to VBS. But to think, I had never called out to God with my voice. I had never given Him everything. I had confessed my sins at different times, but I realized that what God was asking for was all of my heart. And if you think about that, Giving the Lord all your heart is giving Him every sin, every all the negative stuff, and we hear a lot about that, but I had never really thought about until I met these kids, you also give Him everything that's good in your life, your hopes, your dreams, your plans for the future, your money, your time, your talents. If you give Him everything, then He has everything to work with, and it's a blank canvas. And it was terrifying to think of, but I just, I remember it was 11 o'clock at night. I climbed in, I was actually visiting a girlfriend in that area, uh, and I climbed in the backseat of her car, and I just said, I'm not leaving until I seek God with all of my heart. And I just, I, I didn't even know how I was going to get there, but I went through one at a time. Every sin I could think of that I'd never confessed, I, I, confessed to the Lord and asked for his forgiveness. And then I said, God, whatever it takes, I want to know you like these kids know you. I want to know you like my grandma knew you. And I want what they have. And so I gave him my, uh, my hopes, my dreams, things I'd never even articulated, my hope of a family of my own, a real family with lots of joy in it. My, I, my education, I was in school at the time. I didn't have much money, but I said, it's yours, Lord, whatever you want to do, my time, my talents, anything. And you know, here's the crazy thing about God. He watches over every single heart, and he alone knew that moment when I had stepped over the line and when I had truly reached the point of seeking him with all my heart because instantly the presence of God filled the back seat of that car. I knew I wasn't alone. And here's what he said to my heart. He said, I'm here and I love you. And I suddenly had everything I ever wanted. He was there and I couldn't believe he was talking to me. And I tried to process what was happening, just experiencing that love and wanting. And I'm just going, oh God, I, I hear you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for loving me. Thank you for speaking to me. And in my mind, my, my whole insides are just exploding because I'm thinking, he's not only real, but he loves me and he's talking to me right now. And I, I, it was so much more than I ever imagined it would be and would expect. I went into the guest room where I had uh, was staying, and I couldn't even sleep. I'm pacing up and down the room, and here's what I'm saying to God. I'm going, God, 
I don't care if you never speak to me again. I know you're real. I know you love me and I will serve you for the rest of my life. And I said, you can have it. You can have everything. You can have everything. And at some point, I, I, with all my clothes on, I just fell asleep on top of the bed. I woke up the next morning. Oh, my goodness. I was changed. I was changed. I was different. I was joyful. I was happy. I was, I had a testimony. I had just met God. I couldn't wait to get out on the streets and tell somebody. And, um, but, but that is when the adventure began. So, so it went from the glorious toad to the ragamuffin band of friends that I had met who had shown me what Jesus was like to the third stage in my life. And that was the unexpected treasure of discovering what it's like to walk with Jesus. So I have to tell you that the next three days after giving Jesus everything, he took it. He took everything. And it was so, it was, it was this amazing moment, uh, this amazing process. The first thing when I woke up, I knew I needed to break up with the young man that I had recently gotten engaged to. But I had given God, I said, Lord, my hopes, my dreams, my future, my plans, my hope of a family of my own, and I was a little taken aback. I knew that I knew that I knew that that same voice that had said, I'm here and I love you, I knew was saying, I want you to break up with this young man. And he was actually, I met him at Bible school and I, it didn't make any sense to me, but here's what it came down to. I decided, I, and the Lord took me through this process, if God is real and his word is true. It can be trusted. But if it's not real, I'm going to find out. If it can't be trusted, I had nothing to lose. I had given God everything. And I realized at that moment that if I didn't follow through with what I said by trusting him, even when it didn't make any sense, that I would never really know what it was like. And I thought, I'm not going to waste this opportunity. I was 19 years old at the time, and I thought, this is either going to be the greatest adventure of my life or it's going to be something really short, but I'm going to know because I'm not going to hold anything back. So it took a couple of days, and I, and I, but I wrote, I wrote a letter. Dear so-and-so, this young man was actually traveling with a music group that traveled for our Bible college at the time, and we didn't have emails back then and so forth. And I started in obedience, in sheer obedience, not understanding why, I started writing this letter and just said, you know, I've just met the Lord. Um, some, he's doing some wonderful things in my life. And for whatever reason, he's asked me, he's, he said that I, that, we need to, that I need to break off our engagement. And I confessed, I said, I don't, I don't quite understand why, but I, need, I, want, I want to do this, I want to do it right, so please don't contact me for six months. I would really, I just need space as I learn exactly how to live this new life. And, and then I signed my name, and as soon as I did that, I had fulfilled the obedience to what I knew the Holy Spirit was asking me to do. And suddenly the Lord said this. He said, tell him this. If you are serving the same God, all he has to do is ask me about this issue, and I'm going to tell him the same thing. And I thought, that's perfect. So I, P.S., if you ask the Lord, I know he'll tell you the same thing. And that was kind of the freedom. It wasn't me breaking his heart. It was me obeying God and encouraging him, ask the Lord. I know he'll tell you the same thing. It's the same God. And so I had such freedom. I thought, I passed my first test. Yay. And I felt amazing. 
and I was, I was actually on an extended visit to my friends. I was going to be there for another week. And lo and behold, about, I don't know, three or four days later, there was a knock at the door, and it was special delivery. And there were three cards from this young man, and they were like the really pretty expensive ones. And you could tell there were letters inside, and they were full of stuff. And I looked at those, and I thought, well, he didn't do what I asked him to do. I said, please don't contact me for six months. And then I said, hmm, you know, if I open these really expensive, beautiful-looking cards, I know what I'm going to find. He's, he's obviously going to try to talk me out of my decision. And I thought, you know, I, that's just a position I don't want to be in. So I took the three letters, and I dropped them in the kitchen trash, and I never opened them. Hmm. And I just thought, I, and again, it was freedom, because it felt like obedience. It was, there was a snare laid for me, and I, and I didn't step into it. Again, not knowing all the reasons why, fast forward, I went back home to my, to my home for the rest of the summer, and the, the girlfriend I was staying with, who had kind of experienced all this with me, she was also a student at, our, at the Bible college. She had gone to, there was a big Christian conference or something down in Southern California, and she had taken a day to go to Disneyland. And who did she run into at Disneyland? But the young man and the group, who was on a little day off as well. Uh, they happened to be at Disneyland. Well, my young man looked at my best friend, and he turned and couldn't get away fast enough. So one of the other guys, who was his best friend, sat down with with my friend Susie and said, hey, you know, i uh, got to tell you something. something's going on. And Susie is writing to me about this conversation that she had with this young man, uh, Ron. And she said they had just gotten back from a tour in uh, Lake Havasu City, Arizona, and they said the strangest thing happened. They said um, that they found out that while this young man was engaged to me, he was also engaged to a girl in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. And um, so I thought, well, this is kind of crazy. Didn't know, didn't see that coming, and but the Lord did. So I walked away from that experience and reading that letter. Instead of my heart being broken, I just said, God, you spared me. You took everything for the simple reason that you, it was for my good, for my protection. So and when you think about the irony of it, my, <laughs> the home I had grown up in, that the devil was going to lay the same snare for me, and God had protected me. And I remember after, after everything came to light, I just said, Lord, I know I can trust you with my life, and I will serve you with everything I have as long as I live. And I, at home, when I told my father that I was following Jesus, he wasn't happy about it. He said uh, some very harsh things, and I left, and I went to live with my girlfriend. Uh, her family had invited me to come and stay with them, and I found out a month later that they were moving to Oregon, and I needed to find a place to go. I had, uh, again, I was in that position where I had given God, okay, everything, and now I didn't have home to go to, and I didn't, and school was out now because home was out, and I didn't have a job, and I had no idea what the future held. And then the people in Agape Force said, we're leaving town tomorrow night, and we're, we're moving on to another city. We're going to go minister. 
and I um, had no idea what I was going to do, and I spent the day in prayer, and I, and for the very first time, the Word spoke to me, uh, other than that song scripture, and I turned in the book of Matthew, I was reading, I was pouring my heart out to God, now what, Lord? And there was that scripture that says, before I sent you out without anything to take for your journey, and now I'm telling you, take everything you have and go. So I went to the director of Agape Force, and I said, I'm, I know I'm new at this, but I just need to tell you, I think the Lord is calling me to come with you. And he just looked at me very sternly and said, I don't know. He, you know, I don't know what he had seen in me or whatever. I think he thought I was trouble. And he said, I'm not sure I'm going to have to pray about this. And, and he said, uh, come back and talk to me uh, tonight. Uh, they were going to have a, a service. And so I, I just, I actually stayed at the church in one of the little Sunday school rooms, just fasting and praying all day and pouring my heart out to God and saying, I have no idea what's next, Lord. I have nowhere to go. I think this is what you said, but would you lead me? And uh, that night, as everybody was getting ready for the service, I walked up to the director and I said, did you pray? And he said, in a very stern voice, yes, I did, Annie. And then he broke out in a big smile and he said, have your suitcases here tomorrow morning. <laughs> and I had no idea. Oh my, how did I end up here? Then suddenly I was one of the ones on the street corner singing this little light of mine, drawing crowds of people, sharing what God had done in my life. And I thought maybe I'd be there a year. And 20 years later, I look back and I am just amazed at the goodness of God and the training that we received and the friendships that were made. I got married, met my, my husband, my real husband, who's faithful in every way. I call him Superman. He's just remarkable. We've been married 43 years now. Have two wonderful kids, four grandchildren. Looking back on just the life of faithfulness of God. So I know that's kind of how I got to where I am as an adult. Uh, so of course, after the 20 years with that, your whole life has been roses, cupcakes. It's been wonderful, but maybe it hasn't. Where, where are we time-wise? After this 20 years, yeah. where are we? Okay, after 20 years, I am living in Tennessee, and... There's another story. There, there, oh, yeah, but... there is. That's all right. <laughs> okay. By this time, my precious husband uh, has come up through the ranks, and he's the vice president of the ministry, and we have lived in many different places and continued in ministry, had a lot of wonderful experiences. But, you know, uh, the time, that season... Of, that, of the need for that particular kind of ministry was just changing. And so it was time to find another job. And we were sitting there in our sweet house in this precious community in Tennessee. And, and uh, we go, okay, Lord, now what? And right then there were some legal things in the, and we found out that there had been some financial issues regarding, uh, that involved ministry stuff. And there were some questions. And so until the questions were answered, the ministry was actually sued. Well, because things had been closing down, the gentleman serving the lawsuit showed up at our front door, and my husband had just left on a trip, and I'm there with my two kids, and I'm being served a lawsuit. And it was, it was one of those things where, until things could be sorted out, there were to be no paychecks or anything. So, so we entered in a really unique season, where we had no paycheck, for, we missed five pay periods. But I have to tell you, we never, we, we got down to, in our, in our 
pantry, we got down to, hmm, what are we going to invent for dinner tonight? You know, what can we make out of what we have left? And when the pantry was bare, I remember the very last week of, of this season, we had never had this happen before, but groceries showed up on our front door. And my kids remember this. It had never happened before. There had never been that kind of a need before. And the very last week, we didn't realize it was the last week because we didn't know that God was going to kind of set things free after that. But the very last week, people from this little church that we had been going to, I don't recall, I don't think they knew about the lawsuit. I think we were just, you know, trying to keep things as normal as possible. We got invited to dinner every night except Wednesday. I mean, people in Tennessee are very hospitable, but you know, it's kind of a weekend thing. We had never been invited over for dinner on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Thursday, a Friday. Uh, but on Tuesday, at the end of dinner, there was so much food left that they packed it up and they said, oh, here's your dinner for tomorrow night. So the Lord fed us like, like little sparrows for the whole week. And on Saturday, the whole thing came to an end. There was a check in the mail that someone had sent, and they said, we're declaring that this is fine, and everything was kind of put back in order, and we, got, we were able to be paid. But it was such a wonderful adventure of God's faithfulness. And every single time there's been a need, it's been attached to an adventure with walking with Jesus. And those early principles of give him everything because he will never fail you. I remember being 19 and thinking, I can't wait till I'm 40 because I'll be looking back on 20 years of God's faithfulness. Well, I'm 68 and I'm looking back on nearly 50 years of God's faithfulness. And that is my testimony. God has never failed me. Well, in 2001, you started working for Chapel Hill. And I think that can be seen as just a wonderful period of time for the children's ministry. And I think you're responsible for that in many ways. So thank you for that. But that wasn't the smoothest period for you either. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I would love to. Um, in When you're working in drama, when you're directing, uh, it's a, you, you just have to think on your feet. There's a, a thousand details that you have to manage. And in uh, approaching the Christmas play of 2013, I started to sense that there was something wrong and I didn't know what it was, but it, to me it was terrifying. My, uh, I couldn't manage details. I was struggling with numbers, especially. And when you write, when you're writing schedules, you know, dates all have numbers and time frames and this is 20 minutes, is this enough time? And it's so much dealing with, with those, those increments that are crucial and the communication that's crucial. And it wasn't coming as easily. Fortunately, I'd had templates created over the years that I could kind of go to, but the struggle was new to me. And it actually, during rehearsals, I remember one day a little boy came up to me and said, Mrs. Weber, I can't be at Saturday's rehearsal because of blah, blah, blah. Well, that's part of the, the game, right? So my job would be to just say, oh, it's not a problem. You can come Wednesday after school, or you just think very quickly and you just rearrange all the schedules. Well, the, here's what happened. You, those old, uh, was it the, the, uh, the old computer monitors that you used to see on television? 
where all of a sudden everything just kind of, all the numbers and letters fall to the, to the bottom and the whole screen goes black. I'm sitting there looking at the little boy and I'm going blink, blink, blink. Mm. There was nothing there in my mind. It had completely pulled a plug somehow. I couldn't think of what to do. It was his not being there on Saturday suddenly was the biggest problem in my life. And it wasn't just about him not being there, it was, what am I doing next? And I could not process. It was, uh, and it was the mercy of God in my heart. I just cried out to God. I said, I have no idea what just happened, but please help me just get through this day. And, and so I had watched the struggle grow to this climax of, Okay, now something really is wrong here. So, got mercifully, I had a wonderful assistant director that year, and I was able to lean on other people. On Christmas Eve, uh, I discovered a, a hard lump in my throat, and my mom was visiting at the time. Um, the play actually was a true story with her, uh, and so I had we had asked her to come and kind of be my special guest. Well, she was a nurse, and she, I said, Mom, um, what do you think this is? And she felt the lump, and it was hard and not moving. And my husband, who was a paramedic, um, came over and looked at it, too, and they kind of made eye contact, and I'm thinking, okay, what's going on here? And my husband said, as soon as the doctor opens after Christmas, I want you there. Well, fast forward, in January, I was diagnosed with diffuse large B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And I had three tumors. I had one in my throat, one in my spleen, and one in my abdomen. And at first, I have to say, when they said the word cancer, it was just like um, Marcio, where you just go, wait, wait, wait. I have no risk factors. I have zero family history. This has got to be a mistake. That was the first thing. The second thing, though, was actually a sigh of relief. Because, okay, I'm not losing my mind. There is something wrong with me. and. It, but it started me on an, on an adventure I can only describe as being like in uh, like crowd surfing where all of a sudden you are not in charge of anything in your life. There's a team of people and you have, it's that, and you're being carried. I, it was, I have never been poked and, and prodded and, you, you know, and tested and uh, it was, it was the beginning of this, of a year and I don't have a lot of memory of that year of 2014, other than the fact that God had prepared me in such a wonderful way for this time. And here's how he prepared me. He had laid on my heart two scriptures, and they turned out to be my traveling companions for my cancer journey. They were my best friends. It was Psalm 148, which is a psalm of declaring the praises of God. And the other one was Psalm 91, the Psalm of Protection. Anyone who has gone through a health challenge and, and other challenges that we're, are all-encompassing, the kind where when you wake up in the morning, before you open your eyes, those black thoughts just start to race in. I discovered that if I would declare Psalm 148, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. 
Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his saints, of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. And I would pray that before I ever open my eyes, and I have to tell you, it was like a spiritual chiropractic adjustment of my, my heart, my fears were gone, my attitude, because God was the focus. I had exalted him and put him on the throne of my life for that day. And when I would open my eyes, that blackness, that chaos that was raging in my heart, that temptation to be in despair was absolutely replaced with peace and order. God was on the throne. And you know, in that psalm, it talks about angels and heavens and wondrous things of God's creation. And then it comes to kings and rulers and young men and maidens. And by the time you get down to the very last, you realize, I'm in that order. I am there. Uh, they didn't say old women, but it said young men and maidens. So I figure, okay, I'm going in the maiden category. <laughs> and it, but it says if that we praise the Lord and enthroning him first thing in the morning, my heart was set. My day was in order. It didn't matter what came after that. And then I would pray the beautiful psalm of protection from Psalm 91, which I know so many people are familiar with. And it was, it was God. In Psalm 139, it says, You have beset me behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. And the before for me was that Psalm 148 and the, and the besetting behind, that, that hand behind me, that rear guard for me was Psalm 91. And every day these were prayers that I would lift to the Lord and, uh, and to learn the beauty of the reality of the power of the Word of God. That was what Marcio talked about those precious rewards where you can say cancer was a gift to me. Because how can we learn what that intimacy with God is like? How can we learn the true power of living in the Word, not just reading it, but the beauty of putting it in your heart and having it come forth, anointed by the Holy Spirit as a prayer to connect you with the living God. It becomes that daily, Jeremiah 29, 13, where it says, if you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found of you, says the Lord. That wasn't just for salvation. That can be true every single day that we walk. And this book that I'm holding in my hand is the most precious gift. This is life. 
It's alive. And every answer, every fear, can you imagine that was only two chapters? There, how many chapters are in this amazing book? And to be able to have time now, being retired, to just get to know God more and better, to learn to listen to Him, to learn that when you wake up in the morning before your eyes open, if there's some little phrase roaming in the back of your head or a chorus or a song, to bring that forward. Go get that. I, I would just challenge anybody. This has been so much fun. Retrieve it. It's there. It's kind of on the periphery. That is often the Holy Spirit that wants to bring something to your attention. Bring it forward. Examine it. Look at it. Ask the Lord, hmm, what is that? Uh, is that something for me? And I have found so many times that just that, that one exercise of that kind of listening heightens that ability to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. And um, so listening is, I'm learning, and it's becoming a way of life, and it just brings me great joy. And I would say that as I look to the last chapter of my life, I am looking forward to being the glorious toad in somebody's life. I want to be that neighbor, that room, that lady down the street, that, or in the grocery store, you know, that says, how are your children doing? Um, I love walking up to strangers. I just did it. We just got back from vacation in Coronado. And, and I would meet someone and they would say something. And I would just say, you know, I know you don't know me, but I'm a woman of prayer. And I would love to pray for you or pray over that need. Uh, my husband struck up a conversation with three Navy guys on their way to a bar. <laughs> And, uh, this is the beginning of a joke. Of a joke. <laughs> Three Navy guys are going to a bar, and suddenly this 68-year-old woman turns around and looks at them and says, I am a praying woman. Tell me your names. I'm going to pray for you. And so they told me. They just looked like, hands up. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. Bless their hearts. They had been talking to my husband, and they had made a connection already, and I had just been kind of quiet. But I just felt uh, this was an opportunity that I shouldn't miss. And they gave me their names, and I, and I just said to them, and I, I just felt this was the Lord. I said, I'm going to pray, and God is going to protect you. And so I wrote their names in my journal. I may never see them again, and they went on their way to the bar, but <laughs> I know that God is, has his hand on them, and maybe when I stay at an eternity, um, I'll know what it is. But So that's my goal, to be a glorious toad. You uh, referenced the Bible. Just to be clear, the book in your hand was the Bible. And the passage that you recited, you did not read that. That was from memory. And it was, I believe, the Holy Spirit here because I know I felt it as I was watching you. You had your eyes closed. You were doing this from memory. So obviously you have come through the other side of your cancer and you're in pretty good shape right now. Is that fair to say? Where are you at? Well, I loved what Marcio said, and I echo, I am thriving in every way. And it is just the mercy of God. And I was so thrilled to hear him say it, but cancer to me was a gift. I, I know that he has transformed things in my life in, in ways that I, can't, that I don't even know. Um, so, yeah, doing, doing very well. Um, I actually had um, a uh, 
that when they removed, I, I had my port for a long time afterward, the, where you received the chemotherapy drugs. But after three years, they say, if you don't have a recurrence for this particular kind of cancer, the chances are really good. You won't need that. So, so they took it out, and that, it's been five years now. And, uh, and I told you I'm married to Superman, so he makes sure, you know, we, we eat well and we take vitamins and we go to the gym. And so we're, we're doing very well. Thank you for asking. Is there anything else you would like to add today? Thank you. I would. And that is this. To, to walk with Jesus is the most incredible adventure. And there are a couple of things that I would just encourage everyone and that is, there's a Proverbs 4.23 says, for, this is from the Passion Translation, says, So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from it flows the wellspring of life. I would just say it's so important to not just do that confession of sin and get your heart pure when you first come to Jesus, but make it a, a way of life. Guard your heart. That's how God speaks to you. That is how he ministers to and through you. So I, so I really appreciate you giving me the chance to, to mention that. Um, tr stay pure before the Lord. It, it's not always easy. Sometimes, oh my goodness, I've gotten myself in... I, my mouth always gets me in trouble. So here's a great scripture for anybody else. It's Psalm 141, verse 8 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Um, I've had to write letters of apology or make phone calls. But, you know, humble ourselves the way down. Humbling ourselves is the way up. He said, I will exalt you in due time. And God is faithful. So keep your heart pure and tell the truth always in every way. Isn't that a trick? To, to be completely honest in our own hearts. Mm -hmm. And the Psalm, I think it's 51, that Psalm of Repentance of David. He said, you require uh, truth in our innermost being. So whatever it takes. And surround yourself with people of like mind that are on that same journey. It just makes it so much fun. I meet once a week with three other precious, I call them my righteous sisters, and, uh, and we meet and we share life and oh we tell all we tell the whole truth and we confess our sins one to another and we pray and we drink coffee and it's just it's wonderful fellowship so I would encourage deep fellowship well Annie Weber I sincerely appreciate your time today and I dare say you're probably the only person I know who would smile if someone came up to you and said you're a glorious toad thank you very much for your time Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Tiffany. This has been Hill Stories, originating at Chapel Hill Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. The opinions expressed are those of the participants for the edification of our listeners and do not necessarily reflect those of Chapel Hill leadership or the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. If you would like more information or to submit an idea for a future episode, our email address is hillstories at chapelhillpc.org. For everyone here at Chapel Hill, I'm David Wilson. Thank you and God bless.